This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to episode 91 of the Half Missions Podcast. I'm once again joined by my friend and co-host, Paul Kanawa. Paul, how are you? Oh, sorry. Sorry, kia ora, Dan. Sorry to anyone who just didn't hear me there. Um, I've actually signed an exclusive deal with Paramount Plus, which means, unfortunately, I wasn't available to listeners in all regions. Um, but not to worry, I'll have this all sorted by next year. If that doesn't make any sense... I'll I'll make it make sense at the news desk then. Would you like some pepper to go with that salt? Oh no, there's enough salt here to there's enough. Oh, this is great. This is this is great. I love coming into a podcast it's rolled a, up. A bad, it's a bad day for your, um, you. You you've come in hot. We, we, let, let's unpack this, Paul. So, Star Trek Discovery is on Netflix. Oh, it's we're going there tonight. From what I understand. And it's coming back next year. We're going there. We're going. We're sticking. It, it's it's going to disappear, and it's going to come back on a new Paramount service next year internationally. Is that is that the lay of the land? You've got some of the facts correct, but classic half measure. Not all of it is quite right. So, two days before the season four premiere, which has been heavily promoted worldwide, and everyone's getting excited about it. And when I say everyone, I mean of course all the Trek geeks and nerds. That's me. Um, it's looking good because you may remember season three. I was a bit sort of, oh, where's this series going? And this season four looks like it's going to be strong. Two days before the premiere, there's an international announcement from from Paramount saying um, we wanted to let our international audience know that we're removing Star Trek from Netflix at midnight tonight, and uh, you'll be able to watch it on on Paramount Plus, uh, where that's available as we roll it out in. Um, in 2022 now there's a few things here one uh, we don't have uh parent plus in new zealand we don't have it slated to be in new zealand at all we don't have star trek prodigy which i was already salty about you know previously and then added to that put yourself in the position of some of the people in england who were at a convention just this last weekend i think and there was discovery cast members on the stage who they'd come to see saying you're gonna love this series we can't wait for you to watch it just a few days later, having gone to those conventions, those fans are now being told, sorry, not for you, only for America, uh, who are going to get it uh, on Friday this week, which by the time this podcast comes out, I guess will be pretty much then. This is a, an outrageous move. This is the type of thing that leads Suicide. to Pisces piracy. Oh, it really does. And it just creates such bad blood in the community. It's a real bad look for Paramount Plus. It's a bad look for Star Trek. I feel really bad for the writers and the actors and all the people involved because it's not it's not on them, right? But it's a real bad look. And these guys could really lose they could really use it um a trick or two from from people like Disney or 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 Marvel. You know, the, well they're Disney anyway, aren't they? It's just, you know, how to do things worldwide. I think too it's a little bit fatiguing just having another streaming service like like, do you guys have enough to really watch? Like, is, is this really worth it? I, this is it. I was having a, a back and forth conversation with uh, White Star Prime uh, up in Palmerston North. And he was like, you know, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Neon, Disney Plus, Apple, 
so, you know, there's, there's, there's enough things there that by the time you add them up to, together and put them together, they, they cost more than the old fashioned sort of, uh, what, when you used to have the old sort of sky TV, satellite TV, which was only for like the elite people in the world. And suddenly we're back up to those levels. I think this is the thing. I think there's there's going to be a shift again, right? Because it's all cool when everyone's got their two ninety nine, one ninety nine subs, um, but when it's like when you've got hundreds of them, as you say, it really starts to add up. Um, I look, I, this isn't cool. I you know though I'm not the world's biggest Star Trek fan, I think this is a a pretty terrible move. So I, I feel for you guys. I appreciate that. And I think the way to put it in perspective, and this will work for you, Dan, would be like two days before the Yellowstone was about to, to drop, if suddenly, you know, suddenly someone said, Oh, actually, sorry, that's being that's being pulled. So if you if so for anyone listening, think of your favorite show that you're looking forward to that's coming back. Um and suddenly two days before you're being told. And not only that, and I think and I don't want to make too big a deal of this, but the big thing for me is it's not like the whole world is having to wait. Because we've all had that. We had that with no time to die and all the rest of it. But this is like they're going to be watching it in the US and Canada. Uh, and, and you know, those people are going to want to talk about it online. So spoilers, um, there's, you know, I attend like a regular mission log podcast hangouts where everyone talks about it and I can no longer dial into those or listen to their podcasts. It's just the knock-on effect is massive. And I've taken five minutes of this podcast to, to vent my anger and I appreciate it because it's been quite therapeutic. You've said something quite scary to me because Yellowstone Yes, it's actually a, a, Par- a Paramount TV show, so it is. You, can't, you can't be bringing this to me. I, we can't both be fired up, Paul. There's only one person who can be fired up at any one time. What I want you to do is I want you to think about something positive that's happened in your week and tell me about it. I, w- I will do that, but just because you only because you mentioned it, Dan, I saw an advert for today for 1883, a Yellowstone story, which is that prequel Yellowstone series that we've been seeing, and then it says new series exclusively on Paramount Plus. So honestly, Dan. Someone, someone, someone somewhere in the world needs to sort out what's going on in this country because the last thing they want is us to start a revolution. Um, let's let's uh, let's change the subject for a moment, Dad, because um, we spent a lot of time writing our acceptance speeches here at Half Measures for for the New Zealand Podcast Award that we, you know. We thought we'd won. They stole the result from us. You know, we were getting ready for a, a big, a big celebration. Very big. We had a lot of great people vote for us. They did a terrific job. Some tremendous people. We were winning everything. We were getting ready. Frankly, we did win, and they're trying to steal this award away from us. Then, like we'd organised a, a press conference at Four Seasons Landscaping. Um, Correct. It was going to be big, but um, it was it was going to be really big. Look, not this year. No, no love for the independent podcast, but they have told us they'll be back next year with more categories and, and more love for this category, which I think is a is a promising sign. Indeed, and in all seriousness, we did receive a whole lot of support and a lot of kind messages um, from people. So um, yeah, we actually followed the live announcements uh, with Claudia from Blue Table Podcasts, who uh, they were also watching uh, online, which was fun um, and. Um, yeah, it was kind of a back and forth. We were sort of waiting, but it was a lot of corporate po- podcasts, as you say. So what can you do? Well, Paul, like um, the other 90 podcasts before this have sort of dictated, what have you been watching? Okay, so this week, Dan, I am taking us to 1971 for my James Bond rewatch marathon for Diamonds. Uh, 
forever. Um, so this one, diamond smuggling investigation leads Bond to Vegas, where he uncovers an evil plot involving a rich business tycoon. Um, and this is Sean Connery. So after walking away after You Only Live Twice, Connery's back. And this time, this is his last official Bond. Um, and for me, this was another absolute classic, classic everything, classic poster, classic one-liners, classic theme song from, you know, the second one from Shirley Bassey. And and having now watched, you know, all of the the Sean Connerys in, in you know, in a very short time i i do put this up there um as one of the best of his ever his run and so yeah diamonds of forever was a real good watch this one i don't know how, how much you remember about this one dan i don't well looking at the pictures i do remember some of the scenes but i i was almost sort of fell off my chair when you said we're back to sean connery like i didn't realize there was a a switch yeah. out then a comeback that's this is news to me yeah, well, I mean, he does come back again, but it's kind of an unofficial Bond in '83. But um, this this one, he came back, and I think it's interesting. I think he bows out at about the right time. Um, it's I, I feel like he may have had another one or two in in him. Maybe he was becoming. And I say this with respect. Because you know he was like a, a, a um, you know like a sex siren for for decades, right until he was in his seventies, right. But he he is he does look noticeably older in this than he did in You Only Live Twice, which was only nineteen sixty seven, so just four years earlier. He's sort of turning. He's starting to turn into that older Sean Connery that we sort of you know is a very distinctive look. And so he would have played a slightly different Bond if he had stayed on. But yeah, it's a really strong one to to finish on. Um, I think I would. Out of his six, I would probably place this, probably place this fourth behind um, Goldfinger, Doctor No, and then number one would still be From Rush with Love. But it's it's a really good, fun Bond movie. Often the plot in these movies can be quite convoluted, but the premise of this one is really quite straightforward. So it allows for a lot of fun scenes, and and yeah, there is there's a lot more humour in this. I found myself laughing a lot more, which is interesting because. You know that kind of set a bit of a tone for for Roger Moore coming in in the next movie in two years' time, and of course Roger Moore Bond movies are always talked about in terms of how much more humour there was. So it's kind of interesting they sort of set that not precedent, but they sort of put it in that space. It's interesting, right? Because I think I most of my James Bond memories are Sean Connery. I've like outside of Daniel Craig and like his Pierce Brosnan, like I. And just not like, I think as you start moving into these new categories, it's going to be a bit of news to me, really. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I do want to give a shout out for two henchmen who work for Blofeld in this movie, who are really memorable, uh, Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid, who are a funny couple. Um, and if you see a picture of them, you you probably recognize them instantly. Um, it's something else I've picked up on on this um, this 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 rewatch. Um, what's been missing for me from the last three Bond movies, I think, is the villain having some good accomplices or henchmen. There hasn't been anyone for me since Odd Job back in Goldfinger, which feels like a long time ago. And so I think, again, just like you've appreciated things when you do a rewatch in order, this has really shown to me, oh, this is a strong movie because of these reasons. Um, there are some things that don't necessarily work as well, like Bond driving around in a moon buggy seemingly out running cars and quad bikes and that was it sort of aged a bit 
But um, it's all good fun. It's all part of the lore of Bond. And um, it's, yeah, it's it's an easy rewatch. And I, I feel like this is probably the one of the ones I've watched the most in my life. So let's... And is your um, family still enjoying watching this with you? Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's... Um, there's never been a disappointment in terms of um, any of the Bond movies so far. That we've always, you know, e- e- even if I was to sort of say, oh, probably for me so far, the the weakest one would would have been Thunderball. Even then, you're still having um, a, a really good time. So, um, so yeah, there's no sort of um, no disappointment there. Awesome, awesome. Well, that's good to hear. It's good to hear it's still going strong. Yeah. Um, Moving on over to uh, one of the shows that you you sort of put back in my world and you sort of talked it up. And so I'd watched season one a long time ago, uh, sort of on the fence about it, but you recommended season two, so I came back. And that is Snowpiercer um, season two. So I'm now fully up to date, Dan, on on Snowpiercer um, and we as you said to me some time ago we have two trains we have Snowpiercer and we have um, we have Big Alice and and plus of course you know again tune out anyone if you don't want to hear spoilers um, we have Mr. we have Mr. Wilfred and I think having Sean Bean come in and be one of the leads for the whole season for, for me he is he's he's a top tier actor and i said this before when we reviewed um we did a joint review on time that he was in earlier this year he's one of those actors who i think is coming into like an acting prime uh, at this age i feel somehow he carries a lot of a lot of grandeur or he he sort of he just steals every scene he's in he's great and it's really added a, a big dynamic for season two it's um i'm glad to hear that you you've come back and i think you're right like Sean Bean brings a lot of presence to that show. Presence. And it's one of those shows, like it's, I think the thing with Snowpiercer is it's not the best show that's ever been made, but I think season two does enough to kind of keep you interested and it it sort of balances out the the drama and the storytelling and the action to continually kind of keep you interested enough to keep pushing through. Yeah, it does exactly. It does exactly what you just said. And if you're a fan of the movie, um, the chances are you're going to get something out of this. I think how you've defined it there is is fair because it's. I mean, I've just called Sean being a top tier actor, but this is this is not necessarily a a top tier show. Um, I th- I think I've I have enjoyed the second season way more than the than the first. I feel like the characters have sort of grown a bit. I think they've set themselves up potentially to grow the series quite significantly. Um, I feel like when I watch the show, I'm bit, it's almost like I'm watching it almost superficially because I'm, I'm less interested in the individual characters and their story arcs, as opposed to the, the bigger global thing of this train going around the planet nonstop. And then them investigating um, the snow and has the snow fallen and if the snow's falling again does that mean that there's rain and if it's is it going to be is the planet going to be livable again so there's a lot of things that they do in that space which sort of just makes the world a, a bit bigger for this this whole show i think almost the thing that 
kind of put me off watching the show originally is I I had only just recently watched the movie and I do wonder with a TV show like this if it actually would be better coming into it having never seen the movie because mm-hmm. I think the movie kind of gives you the the whole plot line in a summary yeah um whereas the TV show kind of like stretches it out and does something a little bit different with it and I think you're kind of constantly comparing the movie and the TV show when you're watching it, so it might be just better, if this is new to you, to maybe just sort of choose one or the other. Yeah, and I think it's a good shout to, because the movie is really satisfying in terms of the story it tells within that. And I do wonder if there is going to be enough story in this show. I really would I really would love for them to be bold and make some dramatic um, some. Dramatic storyline moves, or 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 derail the train, or or somehow have it hijacked, or I don't know. I, I feel like because you know I love a show that's sort of set within the confines of a of something, but for some reason I need them to change gears or go in a different direction. Or I mean, you can't do either of those things in a train, but you know, just something different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm glad you have uh, come back to that one and, and caught up. Like, I'm I'm definitely going to watch season three. Um, and I'm kind of intrigued to see where the story goes, but yeah, it's a look. It's you could do far worse than watching Snowpiercer. Yeah, I think yeah, the, the second train that they've introduced is is necessary because there's there is only so much you can do on one train, and then have this second train be much bigger is a makes it really interesting. So so yeah, so that's been that's been good. That's uh, Snowpiercer on on Netflix, and then yeah, other than that, for us, uh, I know we've watched some things together. Um, firstly. One of the things I've been watching, uh, the palate cleanser of choice, is curb your enthusiasm, and I've now finished all of season one, and I'm just just starting season two, and I I just feel like it's a gold mine, and I'm I'm a walking advert for this show whenever I talk to anyone. I'm always like, have you seen have you seen Kirby Enthusiasm? And if they say no, I'm like, sit down, I need to talk to you, and it's kind of like I can't say enough about this show. Mm. I've joined you this week, uh, and. I've gone back to the beginning and I'm kind of doing something weird, which is very out of character for me. Like it doesn't align with my, my general OCD principles, but I'm watching the new episodes that they're dropping on season 11 and I'm, and I'm just enjoying them so much that I decided to go back, but I love the new stuff so much. I feel like I might continue watching season 11 and whatever season I'm up to at the same time, which feels like kind of a real uh, Larry David-esque thing to do. Um, but so I too am up to date with season one. Oh, so good. And look, that some people will listen to this podcast and they go back and watch the old ones. So, you know, it makes sense if something, if you enjoy it, that's what you do. This show, I mean, I feel like we could talk about it every week, which could be dangerous because we'll be saying the same thing all the time. Maybe we shouldn't, but there is just something about watching someone having a way worse day than you have had and and just be so frustrated about the little things in life. And I don't know if it's because I'm turning into that grumpy old man, but there's just so much that he feels and thinks that I relate to. It's it's really, it's addictive. It really is. I think my like favourite thing, and I think it's done quite well so far because it could play off as cringy, but it hasn't yet for me, is I feel like Larry David gets caught in a whole bunch of kind of like white lies that always end up kind of coming back to haunt him in a way that he doesn't expect. And often you can't, like when you're watching it, you don't even think how it's going to play out, but it often will come back to haunt him. And it's just, it's such a good show. I'm a bit like you. I've been asking people at work, you know, do you guys watch Curb? And not many people do. Like most people are like, oh yeah, I've seen a few episodes. It's, it's for me. Or, oh yeah, that's quite funny. But it's, um, 
I, I, it's it's well worth the investment. And I, there's something just hitting for me really right about the show at the moment. And I don't know, it's just because, you know, COVID's such a big thing, politics are such a big thing, everyone's triggered, everyone's got a beef about something. And I feel like just having a show like this that you can kind of just lose yourself in and just generally laugh out loud is is good for the soul. It really, it really, really is. And they they dive in just enough into his background on Seinfeld so that it's not overkill, but they just do it enough times. And I think one of the favorite episodes for me so far has to be where someone, he needs a favor from someone and it's not a big ask. And then he's, you know, the guy is like, oh, well, I've really like to you know I'd, I'd really like to meet elaine from seinfeld you know i'd really like to meet julie lewis dreyfus and 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 he's like oh yeah 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 and then when he gets home talking to his wife he's like i will sell this house i will move house before i ever set that meeting up and you can tell by the wife's face that that meeting is always going to happen but he, he the way he's talking about it it's like he's the most passionate thing in the world it's i, I can't do it justice describing it. you just need to watch it what about um, even just like, you know, it's, it's it's a show full of a whole bunch of sort of famous uh, Hollywood actors as well. Like we've got yeah. Bob Odenkirk in one of the early episodes. Oh, uh, yeah. And he's just fantastic. And, you know, he's so done all these porn videos. Oh, it's, it's good. He's so young. It's just it's just unbelievable. And that's the thing. I can't believe you know, it's, it's 2000. And I think some of the humor, some of it, you, you wouldn't get away with today and so it's going to be interesting to watch through to i wonder if uh, with you watching season 11 live if you've even noticed any sort of changes in that respect oh no look it's still it's still so good i think the one thing i've read that really has stood out for me sort of watching this weird like bookend experience is in the in season one he kind of feels like a bit of a regular guy, like, and it's kind of like it's hard to place him because they kind of reference it. Obviously, he's the you know one of the creators of Seinfeld. Um, he's obviously like quite successful, but he he kind of just seems like he's in his kind of relatively normal house. Whereas when you go into season eleven, like he's kind of living in like a little bit of a mansion. Um, obviously the production quality is like hugely stepped up. So right. I'm really intrigued to sort of see the the evolution of all of these characters over the years. Awesome. Well. I can't wait to watch it for the next few months, probably. Indeed, indeed. Uh, okay, so anything else on your list, Paul, or should I uh, jump into some of the things that I've been watching? Yeah, go ahead to yours, and then we'll come back to the things we've watched together. All right, so, yeah, so obviously, so Curb was uh, one of the things I've watched. I've watched a season of that. I actually had a bit of a, a funny TV week because Samara's been away, so we were we were watching C together, which we're still working our way through and it was sort of delayed because she was away we've been watching marvel movies but again delayed because she's been away so i've really had to fend for myself so so it was a great opportunity to, to get all of season one of curb your enthusiasm done but the other show that i managed to watch uh over the week is big mouth season five on netflix oh wow <laughs> so big mouth uh for those who who I guess who, who don't know or have, or have ne- never heard of it. It's basically about a bunch of teenage friends um, and their and their lives as they sort of go through the the horrors of puberty. And it's one of those shows which I think in the, the first season in particular, first one or two seasons, absolutely hilarious, groundbreaking stuff to see on your television. They completely push the boat out. There's nothing that's off the table to talk about. Season five, um, I I kind of found myself getting a little like like there was some good laughs in it, but I I can't 
I kind of felt a little bit fatigued with it. Like, mm. I like some of the characters. I love the voice acting. As I say, it, there's some funny bits, but the shock value's really gone for me with this show. And so anything they cover, I'm not like, oh, my God, I can't believe that's on that's on TV. Uh, so so that wasn't there for me. But in saying that, the, when I look at the reviews for season five, a lot of the episodes are still kind of a eight plus on yeah. IMDb. Uh, so it's 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 obviously still good. I just wonder whether maybe I'm just um, a, a bit tired by it. But if you're a big mouth uh, fan, definitely um, give it give it a go. And I think it's one of those shows. And I think I might have said this for season four. This is one of those shows that I think you know you could potentially bank it and save it for you know Christmas holidays. You're you're sitting out in the sun. You're you're at camp and you're doing this. This would be a funny show to watch, sort of at the the end of the day um, when time permits. So, yeah, is this on your radar, Paul? It's to be honest, I I watched the first three seasons. I think I said the same thing when you talked about season four. It's kind of I'd I'd got to the point where, and I had this with I get this with some shows. I had this with Big Bang Theory uh, and other things where I'm just like that. I I've really enjoyed it, but I can tell it's enough. It's like it's like um it's, i don't know like you're eating a meal that you really enjoy but you don't want to if you have any more you might feel sick and i just felt like i'd got to that point so hearing you say that maybe you'd got a little fatigued by it because what made this show so i can't stop watching this for the first season or two is that shock factor because they're they're saying things and like i think i may have said to you ages ago i remember watching this on my phone on the train and just having to turn it off because even though it was animated, I was thinking, I don't know what the person next to me will be thinking about me as I'm watching this. It's so shocking. Um, it could be something really interesting for a young teenager to watch um, as well, you know, to try and discover things. But at the same time, it may it may not paint the right messages. Yeah, you know, definitely. Look, it's got a star-studded cast. It's like I'm probably am giving it like a maybe a harder time than it deserves because it, it still does something a little bit different. But I think for me, yeah, just a bit like you, a little bit sort of I'm ready to move on, ready for some um, new laughs and gags. Hmm. Um, the other show that we started talking about last week and I know that you've watched as well is we watched the third uh, episode of Yellowstone Season 4 over here on Neon. Yes, uh, that was a... Uh... Uh, a really big sort of two episodes that we had last week. This week we get uh, one episode, episode three. What are you thinking for this one? Yeah, so the I guess the the premise of this episode is so John seeks revenge uh, with the help uh, from unexpected allies. Uh, Casey solves a problem with an unconventional method, and Beth gives Carter his options, and Jimmy prepares for change. So this was a little bit of a a slower paced episode I think and, and compared to sort of like coming in with a hiss and a roar hmm. uh, with episodes one and two still a really good episode really enjoyed it um I, you know like we were saying last week though I kind of almost wish I was saving this all up to kind of just binge it over two days because yeah. I just love these characters so much and just having you know 45 minutes or 48 minutes with them in this case isn't enough for me. Like I want, I want four hours with them, and I want to see their see their development. So I'm, I'm definitely finding this a tough one to kind of just have a, a little one piece of cake a week. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting observation because I'm often of the the view 
the weekly drops are good because you then get to savor that episode and reflect on it over the week before you, you know, you sort of, if, if you binge everything, you don't have time to soak it all in. And I think for some shows, what I've just said is a hundred percent the case, things like the Mandalorian, for example, you know, this, this show, I love seeing that whole experience, that whole big journey, as you said, um, that's how Diana and I watched seasons one through three. And that was such an enjoyable watch to go through that and and what happens is you get an episode like this one and i'm not going to call this episode a filler episode because it, it isn't it it's it's too well written and too well acted however when you when you weigh it up as a singular episode for a week next to what we got last week there's no way they can maintain that kind of pace in fact if they tried to they'd probably be making a mistake and i think they, they may have fallen into that trap in season one or two i've forgotten now um and so yeah, it's an interesting one because this was really enjoyable, but it was just progressing the story along really incrementally. And I think what's um, what's interesting about it is I feel like we just ended season three with such a huge, like, oh, my God, who's going to live? Who's going to die? This is chaotic. And I kind of feel like they're tidying up the loose ends very quickly. Like, so obviously in this episode, John John heads out to seek revenge, um, takes out takes someone to the train station, um, who was involved in the the attack on his family. But it's I kind of want I I want the tension with Jamie about like I want him to be confronted. I want there to be like a, a crazy manhunt. But we kind of get these. Um, quick sort of montages of basically Casey going buddy crazy and you know machine gunning up everyone he he comes across but it's I'm like I feel like the ending we had in season three deserves more than that and I'm not sure where they're going with it and also I feel like I don't want to be saying anything bad about this show because <laughs> I absolutely love it <laughs> yeah like I hear what you're saying I think I think that the then they are wrapping up some things in season three, but I think they're they're just wrapping up. They're just getting the small fry out of the way. I think we've got the big fish to come. So at the moment, we've just got we've got the messengers. We've got the people who who did the hit. We, what we what we haven't got are the people behind that yet. And and so I think that that's going to form. I, I hope it's going to form the bulk of this season because those things need to be to be digged into. It's interesting when you're talking about um, uh, Casey. Uh, in terms of his um, his character arc and um, um, like this show one of the things I love about Yellowstone is how it is extremely um, action orientated and in compared to any other real life show so I mean not, not not a show with zombies or in space but something that happens on this planet in this in this time that we live in more than any other show, the characters are so extreme. And I love that because it makes for great TV and you never know what might happen because you, you know, you can't rely on what you would experience in normal society to help you predict it. But the flip side to that, and you touched on it with Casey is this. In fact, there's two examples that stuck out to me where they just go so far. Like, so Casey, when he goes putting that guy under the cattle grid, Anywhere else, he's in trouble with the law. Beth in the clothes store, that that other woman was 100% doing the right thing once Beth starts, you know, hitting Carter. You know, in real life, the police or the social services for children would be getting involved. And and it's kind of just a couple of times, like you said, just machine gunning down anyone. I just feel like that's when it just 
verges on, oh, is that a bit much? And I don't like it when it does that. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think it's because even just the fact that, like, you know, Casey's got his machine gun out, like, he probably shouldn't really even be involved in these investigations. No. He definitely shouldn't be the first man on the scene. Like, he's a livestock agent. And, yeah, it's just, it, it was a little bit uncomfortable when he put that guy under the the kettle stop because it's almost like, you know, when we talk about, like, why is there no tea in that cup of coffee? What are the business processes for getting everyone inducted <laughs> on the on the Death Star? Like it's <laughs> it's the same thing, right? Like you kind of like who's filling out that paperwork? Like surely you have to answer to someone. Like you're going to be like in the media for literally almost going to burying someone alive. What? But there's no, there'll be no repercussions for it. Yeah. No, and look, it's weird because it's, it's so funny that both of us are coming in with this energy for a show that is undoubtedly one of our all-time favourites, and and I guess we're coming off the back of a sensational season one. Uh, sorry, uh, episode one and two for this season, and and I wonder if what you led with at the start, Dan, is is the ticket in terms of drop the whole drop the whole season and let's enjoy it over the course of a week and come in and do one big review. And I think that's the thing, because in the context of yellow, a normal Yellowstone season, like you wouldn't even notice Casey putting someone under a cattle gate. Like, no, that would just be that would be nothing. That would be like a a, a nick in the chain. It would be nothing. So, it, I I wish I had the the patience to to save it up. But um, oh yeah, the great you know I, I talked about this a little bit before the season started that I I was really hoping to do a, a rewatch to kind of like get myself like from the very beginning. I mean, it didn't quite happen timing-wise, but this has really piqued Samara's interest. So she's really keen to over Christmas to actually sit down and watch all of this. So I think it's, I'm going to have that chance to kind of binge it always a complete package, which will be a fun time. That would be a real fun rewatch. I know you've done a couple of these now, like uh, Homeland and that, but this would be, I think that would be great. I think because those first two seasons are, are absolutely top tier so if you do end up doing that i for one will be interested in hearing your your thoughts on a second time round. indeed indeed and that is largely me this week shall we move on over to uh the walking dead the world beyond indeed so world beyond uh we are now uh season two episode seven uh, Dr. Belshaw will have to make the most important decision of her life. Blood will reveal the truth and lies won't be tolerated anymore. Dan, this is a show that we we go at and we criticise more than any other show I think we ever have in, in 91 episodes on this podcast. And I am delighted to say, for one, I really enjoyed this episode. You know what, Paul? I completely agree with you. Wow. For the first time in a long time, I was like, wow, that was a good episode. I'm looking forward to seeing where they go to next with this. And I'll tell you something that's funny, just before we get into sort of the, the deep dive off the episode. On IMDb, they've already, like the episodes aren't even out yet, but they've already got scores. <laughs> and wow. I, yeah, so the final, like, the, like I think episode, oh, let me just check that. It might be nine or 10 was already sitting at like a six or something. And I was like, what? Oh, they they have they have aired in the states on AMC Plus. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So oh, that's, that's uh, yeah. That's what that's what that'll be. Yeah. So right, roll. yeah, yeah. Right, roll. Okay. <laughs> another another one of those plus services, you know, the ones that we haven't got over here. God, it's so frustrating. 
yeah, no, look, I anyway, that aside, I thought it was quite a good episode. I felt like we finally got quite a bit of traction. I enjoyed most of the character interactions. I enjoyed seeing some of the the riffs kind of play out, and they played out quite quickly. So, yeah, I thought this was a, a strong episode in the scheme of things. And I have to say, and this is a matter of public record because it's on our previous podcast, the success of this episode for me was 100% based on the subject matter and the story that it focused on. And that's something that we've been saying for ages. It's always the bit of those episodes that we've been interested in that they've been giving us two or three minutes on. And in this episode, they essentially, for all intents and purposes, gave us the full 40 minutes focusing in on the scientists, focusing on her experiments with... um, TS-842, with the TS standing for test subject, the work that the, the, the CRM is doing to combat this, this virus on a global level. You know, something has happened that has made people become reanimated back to life as zombies, and they are trying to do something about it. And when you've watched 11 seasons of The Walking Dead, who's not interested in that? I think what's going to be interesting, and again, we say it all the time, like we're broken records. I think, so what's going to happen with the end of this ball? Because are they going to take down this branch of the CRM? Like the CRM is clearly a huge, well-functioning entity. And so, you know, at the end of this, it sort of feels like there's a bit of a groundswell of some of the people who we maybe thought were loyal to the CRM maybe are starting to sort of question, if the, is this the right thing? But there's ultimately not really anywhere for them to go like you Mm. either all end up dead or you kind of end up part of it or you end up a splinter group kind of always on the run because i don't think the crm is going to want you running around with the information that you have no that's right and what what i've started to ask myself now is uh and I'll, i'll i'll take the conversation there in a moment but firstly i'm wondering who else is actually bigger than the crm um in terms of government like organizations military organizations or at least within north america or the united states i guess who knows what's going on in europe that would be something really interesting to explore but like the crm really seem to be the ones running the show and what is so that the the direction to take the conversation for me is i wasn't quite sure i understood the significance of portland and why why they why they thought it was necessary to wipe out you know, what will be 87,000 people in Portland? What am I missing there? That's a great question, Paul. And I asked the same thing of Samara, and she did tell me the answer, and I've already (laughs) forgotten it. But it made me, I'm like, why is there 87,000 people in Portland? That seems like way too many people. Like, how have we got that many people together in one location? And if there are 87,000 humans, that's a lot to lose, like in the context of who's maybe left considering that in this region like there's probably what a couple of hundred people yeah that's right and so it's kind of like it's a significant and there will be a reason as to to why they're doing this because they don't do anything without a reason um and it just it's just kind of neither diana or i could quite pick up on on why that was and we were wondering where fear the walking dead was based and and we, we, we sort of like you know we know it's atlanta and georgia uh, for sorry georgia for the the Walking Dead group, but um, they seem to have all been splintered off. But they need to be close enough that they. This is how Morgan came across, and so on. But uh, just to take it back to the scientist, then the the Jadis uh, Huck scientist, that whole sort of conversation, how they sort of were, she was tricking her, and and then she wound up being in the room, and they shut the door, 
and you know eventually the rat will get tired i thought that was a great piece of writing and a nice little story yeah look i think that that was a a memorable scene and it's funny that we've both just said how much we love this episode and then immediately start to pick holes in it (laughs) there's another thing that uh frustrated me in this episode why is Huck coming across so weak? Like, Huck is um, basically 2IC in that branch of the CRM, as far as I can tell. And the way that she acts around Jadis is so sheepish and guilty, she's completely overplaying it. Yep. I feel like if she actually came across like, I'm Huck, I'm the daughter of the commander, blah, 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 like she could actually have a bit of respect and, and move around a little bit more. But even just being in the room with Jadis, she's kind of – you know, head down, not making eye contact, being weird. And it's, I don't, why? Why are you doing this, Huck? It doesn't make, it was so right, it doesn't make any sense. She, because, you know, she should, if anything, be the big I am. She should have, you know, that gif you send me, we send each other, the, the Vince McMahon walk, you know? That's how she should be walking everywhere. She's 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 basically running this show and everyone should be terrified of her. It, it, it don't, don't take any any garbage no pun intended, Jadis, because like you, you trained her. And while we're speaking of, you know, questionable acting, like even Silas's character, like I feel like he's always no, so he's clunky. Done. He's done. He's gone. He's no good. I'm not, I, I, I don't like to talk bad of actors and actresses, so I won't even go there. I'm, I, I've, I just, yeah, that's, that was a weak side. And then I feel like, I feel like they've, they've done such a 180 on, uh, the roles that Hope and Iris play, like it's, it's so over the. Oh, it's such a mess, isn't it? Like, I, what's going on, Paul? Let, let's just wrap it up. Let's just like, drop the final three. Yeah. Let, let's tidy this up. Yeah, let's finish it with a big three. That would be that would be great because we've only got three left. Where's Julia Mon's character? You know. Kublik, um, yep. what's going on there? Um, I, but they, look, they've put in a solid episode and I found myself interested the whole time and it really held my attention uh, to the point where when it finished, I was like, oh, I wish I had another. And I have never thought that about this show. And that's a bigger compliment as I can give it. I, look, I agree with you. I was thinking, oh, if this this was the first time it actually left me wanting more. And I... I did appreciate some some well written scenes. I appreciated the pace. I appreciated the moving of the story. So, uh, a good effort in uh, World Beyond terms. Well done, World Beyond, and let's hop over then to Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah, so this is season seven, episode five. This is an episode that focused all on Dwight and Sherry. So with a code to guide them, Dwight and Sherry become ethical outlaws known as the Dark Horses. When Strand recruits them for a search and rescue mission, it forces them to question their code and their future. Now, Paul, there was a joke going around a long time ago with I think season two of The Walking Dead that there was an intern carrying the script to that to that season and he crashed into someone who had the script for like Little House on the Prairie and all the pages got mixed up. <laughs> and I do wonder if a little bit of World Beyond has kind of crept into this episode. Yeah, there's there, this wasn't the strongest episode by any any means. I um I like it was great to have um, like I enjoyed it in principle in terms of focusing in on Dwight and Sherry, um, which we kind of talked about last week because, you know, they seem to be doing character-driven episodes. But I take your point. Um, yeah, I 
I see I found I found myself way less engaged watching this. I, I did like I said, it was great to have Dwight and Sherry back, although I didn't I, I found the writing quite poor. Like they weren't on the same page. They were chopping and changing their mind all the time for no apparent reason. I thought that was a bit a bit weak. But the episode worked in terms of the story it was trying to tell overall for me. I think it just had some they leaned in too heavy to some really cringe moments. Yeah. And like a good example for me are the, the the whole wrestling angle of particularly that final kind of scene where she's doing like pole drivers on dead people into the ground. Like that, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like you're going to get bitten on the leg and I hope you get bitten on the leg because like you don't, and even just the way they were smashing them into the poles, like it was over the top ridiculousness for no, for no reason. But even more frustrating before that, she spends 10 minutes putting on her pots and pans armor so that she could go in there and, and bust through the walkers. Yeah. And basically like fails within about five seconds and they just walk up and shoot them all like why bother putting on the pots and pans armor i get triggered by the number of bullets they waste on scenarios where they could easily sort it out by another means because they, they're going to need those bullets eventually and there's only going to be a finite supply in this world i mean if someone said to me right now go get some bullets i don't know where i'd go let alone in, in a zombie apocalypse but um funny enough on the wrestling side and i you know i'm not a you know, not really into the wrestling and that, but I really actually quite enjoyed that. I thought that was a lot of fun. And I thought, you know, they were obviously over the top pulling off wrestling moves specifically for that. And it was kind of, a, that was kind of a bit of fun, I thought. Look, you know, I've always been a bit on the fence, Paul, with this whole Dwight-Sherry relationship. Yeah. Um, and Sherry just doesn't do it for me. <laughs> I Like, I appreciate Dwight. I appreciate his character arc. I think he made a fantastic transition from, you know, Negan's right-hand man in The Walking Dead over the fear of The Walking Dead. I kind of enjoyed his story arc of, of like, searching for his wife, but I've always felt like their actual relationship is not even broken, just th there's no connection there that makes you kind of want to fight for them as as characters. And this this episode again, did nothing for me to kind of, you know, push that further for me. Like, I kind of more think of them as individuals than yeah. than, than, a, than a, a couple who are talking about having children. And, look, guys, a nuclear bomb has just gone off. There is walking dead everywhere. I don't know if this is the time. <laughs> this is not the time. It's really funny you point that out. And I, I will qualify this remark by saying, first of all, I think um, Christine Evangelista, who plays Sherry, is is a good actress i just think her character unfortunately is one of the few on this show that is poorly written because we talk about how good the characters are in this show and how many of them we really enjoy seeing this is one that's not particularly well written and what's funny is uh what you just said is when this episode started and they first pulled the when they pulled their hoods off and we saw it with sherry <laughs> when i was watching it um diana actually exhaled she was like oh <laughs> like straight away straight away it was like oh no what, what's she gonna do this time to us? she really got my back up from the moment that, that we had that wonderful dwight and sherry getting together after all that time that whole journey and then she was like actually i'm not sure about this i'm gonna go off with a bunch of people that wear masks you know it was kind of that, that again right. again it's poor writing it's not her it's the writing yeah yeah i must admit i did really enjoy the early dwight scene in this episode where um <laughs> she's like oh what why are you so mad? And he's like, I don't want to kill anyone this early in the day. It was, yeah. like, it was good. <laughs> yeah, I have thoughts like that all the time. Um, yeah. This was, no, so I think, you know, obviously just coming off World Beyond, so naturally a bit of um, uh, 
leftover frustration. But like Fear the Walking Dead, I think is is still doing something really different, really fun. I am enjoying these character episodes. I think this was probably just my n- probably least preferred so far. Yeah, no, I'm I'm the same. And I I just want to make one last comment. And I feel I may sound a little bit like you, Dan. Uh, maybe I've forgotten, or I've just uh, I, I don't know. I've just I've I haven't picked up on just how many people characters really don't like victor strand so like the reaction that strand got when dwight and sherry they were like ah it's strand and it's like i know he he did some bad things particularly with morgan but i hadn't really picked up on just how much he was hated across the board yeah i'm with you like it's um it's kind of more convenient than it is sort of good storytelling and i'm still got so many questions around how the the scientist from the Mandalorian is all of a sudden become <laughs> a bit of a a commando Navy SEAL and out doing Strand's dirty work like it's and even the fact how the whole Strand thing and how they can come and go but they're kind of surrounded by walkers and Strand seems to be able to find everyone and there's no one who's really from the core group who's been impacted by the nuclear fallout like I feel like this is the problem with shows like this right like if you're gonna have a big kind of like world impacting event you should kind of have more skin in the game and kind of like make us make us scared. Like I should be scared. Like, Oh God, is Dwight still alive? But yeah. I don't, I don't have any fear about Dwight. I don't have any fear about Morgan. Like it's, they're all going to be okay. Yeah, no, they are. And yeah, that's a really good shout. We haven't had a, well, we had John since John went and that was heartbreaking because John was the best. He was my favorite character. Who, who have we lost really? Um, and it's, I think, seven seasons in we we've got too many characters we need we need to lose a few and it makes it always makes for a good story when one of the big characters goes so let's let's give that a go indeed but what have we got another three more episodes of this probably before a a mid-season break i imagine yeah yeah the, the zombies need christmas off so yeah just three to go indeed indeed well paul shall we jump on over to our movie of the week Indeed. So this segment is our weekly movie review. You can watch the movie along with us by going along to our Discord community, clicking on uh, the link in the show notes, and you can see seven days in advance the movie we're going to watch. And this week, Dan, we watched The Harder They Fall. Yeah, so this is a brand new movie out on Netflix. This is a uh action drama western basically about when an outlaw discovers his enemy has been released from prison he reunites with his gang to seek revenge in this western this this movie just to start off then this is a western which i think is is very different to probably most other westerns i've seen almost and i think it has a lot of things a lot of things going for it. It's got its own style. It's brutal. It's got a really, um, you know, quite a unique soundtrack. And I just had a great time watching this. I found it truly entertaining. And I use the word entertaining because they mentioned something at the start. So saying these, these, this isn't a true story, but it's based on these people were real, but the manner in which they delivered the story and the, and this wicked, brilliant way that they directed it um which has some tarantino vibes going on and and other things made it feel like entertainment as opposed to something which i could necessarily believe it didn't bother me i had a great time but it was just it was a very noticeable thing for me 
I'm with you all. I had an absolutely fantastic time watching this film. It blew my socks off right from the start. I think, as you say, fantastic soundtrack, fantastic cast, fantastic storytelling, fantastic acting. And I was, I was just gripped in from, from beginning to end. And I think they've really done something different here. And I think, you know, that this does have a Tarantino, Django Unchained, type of vibe to it and I think but it's done in a way that I think is a not a copy it's it's a real fresh take mm. and like it it really made me sort of care about all the different characters I I really enjoyed their um their, their casting of all of these actors it was just a a really I don't want to use the word fun but an enjoy a, 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 I found it fun it was a fun enjoyable movie to watch yeah and I think it's going to be a movie that's probably not for everyone, and it's probably because of the Western factor. But I think what they do is they they take that concept, they highly stylize it, and they keep it moving at a pace that I think if people gave it a go, they'd get pretty hooked into. Yeah, I'll, the the pace actually was one of my criticisms. If I was honest, I, I felt there were times where they just they just went a little bit too slowly, and I actually, on reflection, I think. Two hours twenty. I, th- I think maybe it's twenty minutes too long for for a lot of audiences. With with as you say, with the Western drama, but that's that's about the only criticism I would lay at this. Everything else for me, like you said, tremendous cast. I thought um, you know Jonathan Majors as as the lead was absolutely superb. Idris Elba as as you'd expect was su- was superb. Um, Delroy Lindo, I have not seen him. In a long, long time, I thought he was absolutely fantastic. He looks fantastic as well. Like I haven't seen him for twenty years. He looks the same. He was just brilliant. Um, if anything, though, there was almost there was almost too big a cast. There was like it was there was just so many characters going on. That's actually that would that would be my only thing is there was there was so many characters. I almost wanted more time with each each one of them to under this understand their characters. Like as you said, Jonathan Majors, he was fantastic in. Um, uh, love country and like um, Zazie Beats, like she was like awesome in the Joker, like such mm, uh, right. interesting kind of backstories and just they all kind of came from you could tell kind of like hard backgrounds and they they were just so grizzled in their own right that they were almost kind of competing for screen time a little bit. That's right. Um, but I think to be honest, this is a movie I'd love to see part two. I would. And I was just going to say, actually, because, uh, and again, obviously anyone listening, you're listening, so spoilers, at the end, it was it was obvious that Trudy um, has has survived. And so um, are they setting up a sequel? And, and it's funny because when I said Tarantino, I, funnily enough, I actually wasn't even thinking Django and Jane, but of course that makes absolute sense because there was so much there, but I was actually thinking there was a Kill Bill feel to this in terms mm-hmm. of the revenge story, in terms of some of those wonderful um, zoom in from a long distance scenes and sudden changes of directions and real harsh angles. I've really, actually some of it actually w- with the music occasionally sort of went into that spaghetti western Sergio Leone type western they really drawed upon a few different things and some of the language had had a real modern gangster streetwise kind of feel to it it was it, they just brought together a lot of things really well and yeah could there be a sequel because i think i think there's a story to tell i i think there will be and i think you know the way that uh 
Trudy's character kind of this is the frustrating thing when characters have a big fight right and you're not going to finish the person I think if if movies have taught me anything Paul always double tap you know you always <laughs> want to make sure that, that someone meets their demise I think the thing that really for this movie that made me know I was going to love it and it was sort of threw me off threw me off sort of guard from right from the start is and obviously deep into spoilers but when we first start and we we see young Nat and his family and we sort of get the introduction of Idris Elba's character and Idris Elba is the villain kind of threw me because I'm so Mm. used to Idris Elba kind of being the good guy and with him instantly just sort of killing this family in front of this young kid I was like what the hell like this we've only just started and it was sort of it was it was all go from the start for me oh 100% I think it's and I love it when they do that because literally other than when he was the villain in the in the latest Star Trek movie, he, as you say, he's always the good guy. He's Luther. He's always the one who you can rely on, and and he's he's such a likable guy in real life as well that you you want to like him. But right from the start, what he does with that family with that child is unforgivable. And so right from the start, you're you're rooting for him to 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 meet his maker. Yeah, no, look, I think this is a good one. I think if you've got Netflix, don't sleep on it. I think give it a whirl. It is pretty uh, action-packed, pretty violent. Uh, but, it, you know, as, as far as movies go, I think this is a this is a oh, three and a half guns for me. Yeah, I would, I would go exactly the same. And a shout-out for the director, um, James Samuel. This is his first uh, – he he's, he's directed a short and he's done a, a lot of stuff with, with, with um, Jay-Z, which is how Jay-Z got on the production of this, I would imagine – uh, this is his first movie that he's gone out and directed. And I just think to come out with that much style, um, because forget about anything, story or anything, if you just if you watched it on mute and just watched the direction, it is it is its own unique thing. And it's I, I walk away with the satisfaction I get of a guy a guy Ritchie, a Quentin Tarantino, uh, oh, yeah. a Scorsese, someone who's got their own style. And I will now watch whatever he brings out in the future because I I like that style. I think um, that is a, a really, really good shout uh, with the guy Richie. Like that, it does have that vibe. I think because this is one of those movies where the dialogue is just as just as cutting or just as impactful as the actual action scene. Sometimes, so yeah, good one. I love it. Hundred percent. That is available to watch right. on Netflix. Shall I take us on over to the news desk? What have we got? So obviously we've we've already talked about the big news um, hitting the large parts of the world today about Star Trek, so I won't take us back down that path. Mm -hmm. Uh, A little bit of positive news. So if you're a fan of the 1997 X-Men, which you can currently watch, this is the animated uh, cartoon, which you can currently watch on Disney+, Plus, they are making uh, another season of that show for Disney+, Plus, which will be coming out in 2023. Paul, I'm a big X-Men fan, particularly I, I've enjoyed the the animated series. Mm. And I, I for one, sign me up. I'm, this is making me actually want to go back and, and re-watch, this, uh, re-watch this, this show and get ready for 2023. I saw that and I, when, I, when I retweeted it, I retweeted it with you in mind because I, I know how much you love that, that 90s series. And yeah, it's, it's really exciting. There's, there's a whole bunch of things there, right? 
Indeed. Um, last week we talked about Petty Jenkins' Star Wars movie being shelved. Now we've got Ryan Johnson's Star Wars trilogy has been put on the shelf. Paul, you're a big Ryan Johnson fan. I'm going to cross over to you. What do you think? Yes, so Dan, this news is coming directly from Hollywood today and Ryan Johnson reportedly had creative differences with Lucasfilm. Uh, this has long been a fan rumour that this trilogy of movies would be shelved following the criticism that he faced for The Last Jedi. And today this seems to confirm it Dan that's my reporter voice good you've done a good job I should cross over to you more often um, no like I think this is another interesting one right like I know that you and I have our um, mixed views on um, Ryan Johnson's entry into the the last trilogy but I was uh, I was interested in seeing his take on on his own set of three movies so it's a bit of a shame, and sometimes these things are shelved, but they, they do come back to life. But I guess in the immediate future, we still have the uh, Taika Waititi movies on the horizon, or movie, at this point. Indeed. Uh, we have been long talking about on our news desk um, what's going on with Marvel, and in particular Daredevil, and apparently some casting um, news is sort of coming out that they're, they are casting for a Daredevil project at the moment with Marvel Studios. No specific details about whether this is Matt, um, Charlie Cox's um, version of, of Daredevil, or sort of a, whether it's going to be a continuation or, or reboot of the Netflix series. But yeah, look, I'm I'm hyped. The, just just announce it. Like, bring him into Moon Knight. Do what you need to do. Mm. Get Daredevil back on the screen. He's such a a fan favorite character, and I love that. There's you know we're getting little bits of information that's kind of pushing us towards he's coming back. And because I think if we get him back, then we're getting the Punisher back, and that will be amazing. Oh, Johnny Bernthal, if he if he's not back, there'll be a, there'll be there'll be such an uproar now. They must. Let's just say that they were thinking of going in a different direction. They've they they have seen everything that's been on social media. They they can't ignore that now. And you'd almost like fear being any actor who's coming into that role who who isn't from the you know from the original. I mean, it's it's it has to be now. Otherwise, there's going to be chaos. Indeed, indeed. And then uh final bit of news from me is so the original Harry Potter movie cast is reuniting. For a 20th anniversary special it's the hot thing to do right now paul get everyone back together whether it's 10 years 20 years 30 years people love it they're going to soak it up and we know there's a lot of harry potter fans out there so that will be something to check out uh next year on hbo yeah i saw that as well and i was really pleased to see that today because after everything else i i needed some good news and that's that is a great news story well paul that's me is there anything else over on your news desk uh, you covered off most of the things. The only other thing I spotted this week, um, I remember watching Lethal Weapon 4 back in 1997 and sort of like the the, the, the catchphrase that Mel Gibson and uh, Danny Glover were, were famous for saying at that time is we're getting too old for this shit. Well, Mel Gibson is back some 27 years later with Lethal, we Lethal Weapon 5, which he's not only starring and he's also directing No Word Yet, I don't believe, on whether or not um, Danny Glover's coming back. Wow, who would have thought that? Interesting. I feel like it's um, he's a controversial guy, isn't he? We've talked to him a little bit about him over the, the last few months, yeah. but I, I kind of feel like 
look, let's give them a go. Let's give them a shot. Shoot your shot, Mel. See whether you can sort of woo the audience back. Um, I Like, you know, I, I don't want to see someone new in that role for Lethal Weapon. And old Mel Gibson could be perfect. Yeah, well, they already did it with the TV show, which I didn't watch um, because some roles, you know, can you, can you recast them? I I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Um, more good news, though, uh, earlier in the week, uh, Danton Abbey, A New Era. Um, we're both fans of that. There's another movie coming out, all the original cast getting back together for another Danton movie. That'll be pretty good. I've, re- I've resisted watching the trailer, um, but one little bit of a teaser trailer that I couldn't help myself but watch, but I won't talk about in case anyone hasn't watched it, and that is uh, for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series um there's a little bit of a a little bit of a behind the scenes teaser trailer on disney plus that you can go and watch and suffice to say dan very exciting it's going to be good like i remember saying to you paul heck is obi-wan really gonna have a fight with uh darth vader but it's looking very promising it 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 really is and that's that's all we need for christmas would be like a real full trailer of obi-wan and vader i mean that's that's as that takes me back to a new hope where so much started for me and so that would be incredible but uh we'll have to wait so that is all the news uh, it's in the mailbag um so mailbag what have we got so okay so firstly i do like to acknowledge people who take the trouble all the people there's a few people you know wrote in with the word blade runner this week and at first i thought are these people giving me peak performances for Harrison Ford. But of course, it was to indicate that they'd listened right to the end of last week's podcast, which I always appreciate. Um, what else have we got? So we talked about Blue Table podcast earlier. Pear from Blue Table honoured us this week with a triple Instagram post, Dan, saying some very complimentary things about us. A triple post. That's three posts, right? I mean, that's incredible. And she said in one of them, the amount of effort the boys go through to ensure each episode brings a wealth of knowledge. I'll tell you what, Dan, it is nice to have someone acknowledge the hard week work that we go through, you know, seven nights a week to get this content watched, rain or shine. It's a full-time job. It really is. I don't know how we have time for anything else. Um, thank you, Pear. We really enjoy your live podcasts. And so uh, thank you so much for that. Um, Tom Hanks didn't get in touch with us, um, but Joseph Polkwin, who was an extra alongside him, and he's got a, a picture of him uh, next to Tom Hanks on the boat. Uh, he he shared our review with um, his followers on social media, which I thought was uh, pretty cool. I think if I had a, a a picture taken with Tom Hanks on a on a movie, that would be my profile picture for everything ever. Um, our uh, our favorite streaming provider, Neon, um, with whom we're proud to be associated with, they liked a Yellowstone review. They retweeted it. They even shared it on Instagram, and they even replied that they heard it was a great show, and they'd spelt heard H E R D. Not content with one pun, they also liked our Dexter post and added on there that they thought it was a killer series. Um, some great people at Neon Den, they are Half Measures people. Indeed, indeed. Love their work. And finally, last week's peak performance. So we finally went there with Harrison Ford. We had uh, Norman from Mission Log Podcast. He said, 
as much as I love him as Han Solo and Indiana Jones, I'm going to have to go with his version of Dr. Richard Kimball in The Fugitive, um, which is a great show. Love that movie. Um, Michael from North Carolina, um, he, he didn't play by the usual peak performance rules. Instead, what he said was Harrison Ford has a career that you don't have to even say what movie he was in. You just name the character and everyone knows it's him. Han Solo, Indiana Jones, Rick Deckard, Dr. Richard Kimball, Jack Ryan. And it's it's a, it's a real good show. Um, so we'll allow that this week. Um, and finally, Paddy from... Oh no, who else? I had someone else. Ryan from California went with... Oh, he went with your honourable mention of Rick Deckard. And then Paddy from Time Drumming Tink Podcast... Uh, he said, well, firstly, he said on Her Majesty's Secret Service is the saddest ending of any Bond movie ever. And then he gave us his 3-2-1, Air Force One, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And then his number one was Empire Strikes Back. He agrees with us that he was good in A New Hope, but it's the emotional journey um, with Empire Strikes Back that takes the crown. So a lot of emotion there with with Bond, with Han Solo, a lot of emotion from Paddy this week. He's showing that soft centre, Dan, that was missing when the All Blacks played the Irish. But um, let's not go there. Indeed, indeed. I, I, I guess I do have to agree with Paddy. It's when you when you put it in that sort of context that there's a there's a real emotional journey for. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, that's that's good. Love it when people write in. Love it when people tell us what their peak performances are. And talking of peak performances, Dan, it's time for us to head to the peak performance desk, as a, as it's well known. Um, and who have you chosen for us this week? Yeah, so this week, much like our movie of the week, we take turns choosing actors, actresses, directors, producers, and everyone in between. And we list out what we think are their peak performances. And this week, I have nominated Mr. Dwayne Johnson, who you may know as The Rock. Paul? What have you got for me? Well, when you sent this through, I, I, I gave a, I sort of tipped my hat at you, and I thought this is really clever. I'm gonna, I've seen so few things. I'm gonna have to surely have a Fast and the Furious in one of my peak performances, and I got real angry about that. Um, but then I had a look back through his career, and he has been in a lot more stuff than uh, I actually recall. And and going back through brought back some some interesting memories for me, and the honourable mention for me is actually for him in Star Trek. Um, he is in Star Trek Voyager uh, in a season six episode called um, Sunk Cats. And in this episode, it was kind of cool because other than his WWF wrestling, this is the first time he ever fought any... He fought someone uh, for the first time on like a TV show or a movie. It was the first time he ever did that. That wasn't a part of wrestling. Um, it's one of the highest rated episodes of the season. And it, yeah, it's pretty cool because, you know, we're talking about wrestling in the, uh, the walking dead, but in this one, he's sort of, he's fighting with seven of nine, who is a Borg, uh, which are a very you know, powerful uh, entity in, in Star Trek. And it was, it was a really interesting performance and looking back on it now, I just, it's just incredible because from 2000, just how young he looked at the time. And yet, you know, he, he's still in insane shape now. And, you know, he's, he's so much older, but, um, that was, that was a fun episode. It always, he always comes up on a list of, you know, oh, people you didn't know were in Star Trek. You know, he's, he's one of them. And so that was, that's my honorable mention. But 
for my peak performance, um, I'm actually going to go with the other guys. Um, so this is for me one of those great action comedy movies. I feel like he fitted in with the rest of the cast so perfectly, and all of the cast top tier, you know, Will Ferrell, Matt Warburg, um, Samuel Jackson absolutely hilarious all of them together i thought he had a really good rapport with samuel jackson and i would say it's it's probably the best in terms of like a, a mix of like an adult action comedy swearing which is always a great combo um i think it's probably one of the best at least one of the best that i've seen him in and um yeah thank goodness for this movie so i didn't have to you know consider any of those ones with the cars and the dvd players so star trek voyager and the other guys for me dan what about you always disappointing paul when you don't <laughs> love family always <laughs> choose family all right so i'm going to go with uh maybe a controversial choice for my uh for my runner-up i am actually going to go with uh Dwayne Johnson's role as The Rock on WWE's SmackDown. So everybody loves a bit of, um, back in my day, it was the the World Wrestling Federation. Now it's World Wrestling Entertainment. And I thought to myself, does this fit in this category? I'm like, well, it is entertainment. It is on television. The Rock is a character. And, you know, controversial opinions around, you know, scripted wrestling and stuff. But if you put all of that aside... I think, you know, Dwayne Johnson did so much for the whole sort of genre of wrestling. Like, he brought so much electricity, so much uh, life to to the ring. And he he truly was a, a pleasure to watch. And I think his charisma and stuff was second to none. And I think, I imagine he's the, the inspiration for a, a lot of, a lot of wrestlers today. Like, I'm, I'm well out of the wrestling circle, but I just... You know, this was the last minute call, but I, I I couldn't not give him a nod for all of the work he's done in this space. Incredible. Incredible. Well, Paul, unlike you, I do appreciate family. So I'm actually going to go with, uh, for my for my peak performance, oh. I'm going to give it to um, Dwayne Johnson for his role in Fast and the Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. So this is the, we've obviously already had um, Dwayne Johnson in the Fast and the Furious series up until this point. But this is kind of the first spin-off, right? And this is the this is the show where he plays alongside Jason Statham. They've got this uh incredible, um, aggressive, great banter relationship where they basically hate each other but have to work together. And I think the rock really shines when he's got somebody like um like Statham to kind of kind of bounce off. And I think, you know, The the Rock has got so many great movies and I could have easily given it to the other guys. I could have even given it to Baywatch because, you know, and as much as those movies get a hard time, fantastic. But for me, Hobson Shaw and WWE Smackdown. Absolutely incredible. I would have bet everything I owned that you would have given it to him uh, as Hobbs in one of those movies. So well played, sir. Well played. Well, Paul. That probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. Does indeed. Thank you to everyone again for listening into this week's episode. If you can smell what The Rock is cooking and want to, you know, let us know what you think should be his peak performance, do get in touch with us at halfmeasurespodcast.com. Did I say it right? Is that that's the expression, right? 
That that is great. Yep. I cannot wait to hear the write-ins next week. Like so, do do get in touch with us. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think our our word this week should be: if you make it all the way to the end, I can smell what the rock is cooking. <laughs> send send that to us. Let us know. Let us know you've made it. It's going to trigger Paul. I'm going to appreciate it. Yeah. It's going to be a good time. That's right. That's, that's great. It's the social media manager who's going to face all of that. So that's uh, that's wonderful. You can do that on <laughs> halfmeasurespodcast.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at halfmeasurespod. And also a very special shout out to our Patreon producers. Um, there is a lot of work that goes onto this podcast. Seven days. We're, we're working around the clock to bring it to you. So special shout out to Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa and Linda Tavner. We could not do it without you. If you would like to become a Patreon producer of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone. Adios.